0: Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Anjay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Welcome, or welcome back, to The Unveiling. This is episode 59 and today is going to be part four. We're going to go ahead and pick back up on the Galatians series that we got out of for a couple of weeks. Uh, And unlike the last couple of weeks, all of us are here today.
1: Ajay, welcome back. Thank you. Good to see you both.
0: So Ajay has been traveling as we've said and uh We're glad to have him back. Despite anything you may hear on those episodes when you were gone, Ajay, we're we're really happy to have you back. Yes, we are. So so we are going to, like I said, pick back up in Galatians, and for those of you who want to follow along in your Bibles or whatnot, we are going to start in Galatians, uh, pick back up in Galatians 3 at the 15th verse. But... Before we start that, Mark, you said you wanted to
2: clarify something from our last Galatian episode three weeks ago. Sure. Uh, Before I do, though, I just wanted to say, uh, Tim and I just had a private conversation before we went on the air, and I was just sharing how I've always loved Galatians, but as the three of us have gotten in deeper to it this time, I am just blown away by this book and that's probably why it's taking us a little longer to go through it. We're savoring it, but don't worry, our children will carry on <laughs> if, we, if we don't live long enough to finish the book. But so, but what a wonderful book it is. And and since it's been a few weeks with AJ traveling since we've been in it, I just wanted to kind of refresh all of our memories as to the context of this book quickly. So the Apostle Paul had gone on his what most historians believe was his first missionary voyage to uh, Asia Minor. And he had gone to the province of Galatia and planted many brand new churches there. He had gone, he had preached the gospel, uh, faith alone, through by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as the people in Galatia believed this gospel, the Holy Spirit came on them, they saw signs and miracles, and they came to Christ simply by faith and belief. They trusted in Christ. So, so he went. Paul went back, continuing his missionary journey, and much to his chagrin, while he was gone, uh, Judaizers had came in. These were Jewish Christians who, uh, who were Christians. They put their faith in Christ but it was not in Christ alone. They believed that a higher form of Christianity was adding the Mosaic law, all the Jewish rituals. And they came in and were trying to, as Paul described it, pervert the gospel, which is all Jesus, first to last. And, and you can imagine how that uh, really upset him. He, he viewed them as his children. And, and he tells us, In Galatians 3, 4, something that really hit me as I studied, he says, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? And the reason he said that was these Galatians had been persecuted for their belief in the one true gospel. So Paul came in, preached Christ, they believed the spirit fell on them did miracles and wonders among them and they were so in love with Jesus and his through his pure true gospel that they they were persecuted for it and were willing to suffer for it now here's these same people who have suffered for the one true gospel turning back to the law trying to add that in and as As later on, I believe it was Peter says, it was like dogs returning to their vomit, like pigs that had been washed going back and wallowing in the mud. And he was incredulous and said, what are you doing? So I guess we can just kind of pick it up from there, Tim. All right, Mark, thank you very
0: much. And I will do a little bit of reading here. The first piece that I'm going to do is verse 15 through 20. And I am using the NIV for readability. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promises. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So he starts this whole thing off with an everyday example that the people there would understand because back then covenants were very important to tradition and 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 law in the world and uh they would understand what he was saying i don't i don't know that we understand it to the that level today
2: yeah i think you're right although we might be able to equate it to contracts and things like that although they're not exactly the same i would think that's about the closest we have here although marriage is a covenant as well okay and i would see that in those
0: in in that first part of that reading that uh Paul argues that the law was added later uh, as a temporary measure to restrain sin and prepare the way for Christ. I am having trouble tripping over my tongue tonight. So the law was given basically to show us our sin. We had to have something to measure it against. So the law came to show us the sin by giving us a measurement or a standard by which to hold our behavior to.
1: Yeah, so, you know, there are several truths here in this short passage. You know, the Bible says, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There are so many truths here, you know, that are, that are you know, liberating truths, if you would. So here we see um, Paul is talking about a promise here, right? I think before we go into the contrast here, again, this whole Galatians, this whole chapter is about contrast. He is constantly contrasting law and faith. He is con- contrasting the new covenant and the old covenant, and here is contrasting the promise and the law. In verse 16, he talks about uh, God gave his promises, right? Not to the seeds, but to seed who is Christ. And then in verse 18, it says, you know, verse, God gave to Abraham by promise. So, I think it behooves us to stop a little bit and uh, first understand what the promise is here, right? You know, what is that God promised? So that was in the previous verse in the where uh, we read in the last chapter uh, sorry in the last uh, we went through in the last episode in verse 14 it says the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith so the promise that he's talking about is a promise of the Holy Spirit right when we receive the Holy Spirit you know Holy Spirit comes in us and Holy Spirit puts us in Christ and he, Christ himself comes. Into us, and everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. So here again, in the context of promise, we are talking about is the Holy Spirit. Again, I think it's important to stop and understand how do people receive Holy Spirit. The most beautiful thing about the gospel is, you know, uh, Mark, you already mentioned two times in your uh, intro that how we receive the Holy Spirit when we simply believe the gospel. We receive the Holy Spirit. The beauty is. We don't have to explicitly ask for the Holy Spirit as a second step. You know, when the gospel is preached, when we believe the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. And it is there in Acts chapter 10 as well. You know, this is important to understand again. I want to quickly read that one in Acts chapter 10, when Peter, this is the first time Peter is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And in verse 43, you know, after he talks about Lord Jesus Christ and how we went about doing good, and then he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, then he comes to verse 43. It says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Again, the remission of sins means forgiveness of sins. It says, he simply said, you know, whoever believes in him and in, through his name will receive the forgiveness of sins. While Peter still spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So, again, the same thing we are seeing here in Galatians chapter 3. The promise that God made to Abraham is a justification by faith. When people believe the gospel and they are justified by faith, they will receive the Holy Spirit, the promise of Holy Spirit. So, that is a backdrop of this. And now we are coming to verse 15. And I'm going to stop in a little bit before I go longer, but I just wanted to uh, uh, point out a few contrasts here, right? So, here... He's saying, he's talking about a covenant, right? You know, he's contrasting the covenant. Even though if it's a man's covenant, you know, once it is confirmed, no one changes it, annuls it, or adds to it. So you cannot add to it or you cannot take away from it. Once a covenant is made, that's it. So even if it's a man's covenant, if it is like that, how much more the God's covenant, right? Then he talks about the contrast here is what God made to Abraham is a covenant. And then he immediately turns and calls it a promise. You know, God simply promised Abraham 400 years before, and nobody can change it. You know, that's the first point he's making. And the second contrast he's making is, is a contrast between the promise and the law. It's interesting, you know, he's uh, using different words. To the God, what God made to Abraham, he calls it a promise and a covenant, but then he contrasts the law. You know, there's a difference there. The promise is a one-way promise that God made to Abraham, whereas the law is a two-way contract we have to keep the conditions, you know. I just wanted to point that out. And the other point I want to make it is, you know, the promise was made to the seed, to Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the promise was not made through the seeds as in us, but the promise was made to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop here and let you guys chime in.
2: Yeah, I love this section of chapter 3 here, because Paul really brings to the forefront a couple things. One is that he's correcting Israel's understanding of why the law was given in the first place. It was given to bring men to Christ, not to become a religion, not a means of gaining salvation or blessing or sanctification or anything else. Um, so he, you know, this had to be very revolutionary to them hearing these words, telling them that the pursuit they've been on their entire lives, that all their forefathers going back for centuries have been in pursuit of was a misunderstanding. They had not understood the reason why it was given. And they knew that the promise was given to Abraham, but they didn't understand that either. And Paul's clearing that up now as well, that the law didn't supersede that promise. And it's still by faith because Abraham believed, and it was credit to him as faith. So I love the fact that he's redefining some of these things for the Jewish nation. Um, And then the other thing I love is that he sets a chronology up here. Uh, We tend to think in this modern age that the covenant of grace is the new covenant, and it is a covenant of grace, but it's not the first announcement of that covenant. He tells us that first announcement was by promise to Abraham. And and theologians actually call that the covenant of grace. So you've got the covenant of grace, which is a promise to Abraham. You've got the old covenant, which was the law given only to bring people to that promise. And then you have the new covenant, which was the fulfillment of the promise. Christ came and accomplished that. So I love that chronology that promise Law to bring you to the promise. Christ came and enacted and fulfilled the promise. And what's even cooler is that the entire Bible is filled with the gospel. There are a number of scriptures that tell us. I'm just going to quickly read a little bit from a couple of them here that say the grace, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's 2 Timothy 1.9. Titus 1 says that the gospel, he said, God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. Ephesians 1.3 says that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So you can start before time, before creation, the gospel of grace was already the plan between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even in the Garden, Eden, Garden of Eden, they were foreshadowing it and giving pictures of it with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the law, and the tree of life, with his which was Christ. Through the patriarchs to Abraham, the promise was given because of his faith. Because of his belief, it was credited as righteousness. Then God gave the law to bring people to that promise. And then you've got the judges and prophets and psalms. God revealed by his spirit prophesying about that gospel. That's why we have all those prophecies about Christ ahead of time, being born of the virgin, um, that he was betrayed for 30 pieces of of silver, that he was the suffering servant in Isaiah. And then here comes Christ, boom, to, to fulfill the promise of the ages for us. And yet even to this day, men stumble over that. And uh, and Jesus said, I have become a stumbling stone to some because they don't understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone in his cross.
1: Yeah, to double down the point, Mark, that you're making in verse 18, it says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So here the clear contrast is the law and the promise, right? And the promise came first. It came 400 years before, and he's saying that, you know, now if you are saying that the inheritance is by the law, then basically it's not by promise. So you have to pick and choose. It could be either by promise or it could be by the law. So it's the same thing as Romans 11, 6. If it is by grace, it cannot be by works, or if it is by works, it cannot be by grace. The same thing here. If it is by promise, it cannot be by the law. If it is by the law, it cannot be by promise. So. It's an either-or proposition here, and we have to pick and choose, but you know, many of us, almost everybody in the most of the church nowadays, right, you know, foolishly and ignorantly mix both. When the Bible clearly says it has to be either-or, you know, it's like a kid, right, do you want this or that? kid says both. <laughs> it doesn't work like this here. It has to be either the law or the promise, and it's clear here, verse 18. If, it, if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise. But God, I know it says, emphasizing here, but God gave to Abraham by promise. What it means is, God gave it by promise, He did not give it by the law, therefore the inheritance cannot be by the law. It has to be by promise, which means it is to be by faith. It can never be by the works of the law.
2: And that that's an awesome point. Let me let me just read one scripture, Tim, and then I'll hand it to you. We've already talked about this, but the end of Galatians 2, Paul says almost the same thing that Ajay just read us in 18. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's not the law, it's the promise. And it's not a benign neutral, innocuous thing to add the law to the gospel. It's, it's really sin. It's evil is what it is. And it's like saying Christ died for nothing when you do that, that it wasn't enough that you have to add.
0: So that does answer one of the questions that I was going to bring up. But Paul addressed, kind of addressed it first by saying, so why was then was the law given at all? I mean, if if Abraham already had the promise and we get that promise, uh, why did we need to go through the law to get saved? I mean, obviously, we don't go through the law to get saved. But why did we need the law if we already had the promise of salvation, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone?
2: Well, I would say because we didn't get it. People still don't get it nowadays. It was given to help us to understand and see. The Jews missed the promise that it was by faith it would be credited to them as righteousness. So the law was given, and they missed that too and started to make a religion out of it. That's that's just a supposition I would make that I think's is uh, pretty well supported. What do you think, Ajay?
1: Yeah, I, I agree, Mark. And I also I think it's important to clarify because... The verse here uh, says, you know, what was the purpose of the law? Then in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. But again, I think many take it and say, oh, yeah, law is given, you know, to kind of uh, suppress our sin, right? You know, oh, the society is so bad, you know, without the laws, you know, we'll just go uh, crazy and start sinning like crazy. And that's why uh, the law is given to suppress the uh, sin in the society and among the people until faith came. I think. That's how some people preach it, but it's actually the opposite. In fact, law is given. If you read uh, Romans chapter five, verse twenty, uh, it says, "Moreover, the law entered the that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, the grace abounded much more." See, the purpose of the law is show that we are sinners. If the law was given to suppress sin, you know, we won't be realizing that we are sinners. So, law is given so that the sin may abound. And But the beauty is, you know, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. So, what he's saying here is that, you know, law is given because of transgression. That means that, you know, law is given so that we realize that, you know, we are sinners. It, it is given to show us our sin. That's what it means.
0: So, given the King James translation that you're using, Aj, I want to clarify something. It, when it says, to make, so that sin might abound, it doesn't mean so that we might sin more but rather I believe, and you to correct me if I'm wrong, but that uh, we might be conscious of our sin more.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I, guess, uh, I think the consciousness of sin comes when we sin more, right? So in Romans chapter 7, the more you try to be good, the worse it became. So I think par- at a personal level, when we attempt to keep the law, the more we attempt, the more we fail, so we are actually sinning more in our life until we come to a point when we realize that, oh, my God, I can't do it on my own. It's not in theory, but in practice also, anyone who tries to keep the law will end up sinning more.
0: I, you know, it's funny because I I listen to that and I I think I understand what you're saying. But I keep asking myself, why did I need the law to sin
2: more? I was doing pretty good at sinning on my own before I came to Christ. Well, I think Paul gives us a really good answer to another place when he tells us that before the law came, sin was still in the world, but it wasn't charged to anyone's account. So people sinned, but once God gave the law and said, thou shalt not, now sin became a bigger deal. And the way Paul puts it is, the law was given that sin might become utterly sinful. Yeah. We, that we would be convicted and condemned by that law to see sin as a terrible, terrible thing and that we are in desperate need as a, uh, of a Savior.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Tim, you made a point. You know, I already knew I was a sinner. What's the point of the law? But that's not the case with everyone. Many people think they are pretty good. In fact, if you look at... Uh, other religions world religions like a billion population they believe man is basically good just the other day you know i was driving in the car and the driver uh just in the conversation mentioned that 70 uh, percent of people are good so the assumption in many of the religions is that human beings are basically good and the environment and the situations they go through make them bad so those kind of people definitely need the law in fact you know the bible says the law is in their conscience because it's not that the Gentiles have the law of Moses or they care to read the Ten Commandments, but the law is in their conscience and written in their heart. So anyone who tries to the, keep the perfect law of God that is written in their conscience, they realize that, you know, they're falling short. They realize that, you know, they're sinners and they can never be good.
2: One word I don't like, Aj, is the word bad, that man is bad. It's it's a very subjective word. I think the point is that all men sin. If you've sinned, even once you are condemned by the law. And that's the point when people say, no, mankind is not a sinner. That, you know, we all have bad days. We have bad hair days. We have days we lose our temper. Um, that's a very relativistic word that that they use incorrectly. We're not to, we're not trying to tell somebody who's not a believer, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. What we're saying is you've got a sin problem just like I do, just like all people through history do, and that's the point that it's not just a little thing that the law is showing that that's a fatal thing.
0: I think that idea that uh most people are good comes from a wish inside that says, I want to be good and our fear that we aren't good and that, you know, we're so we're kind of depending on God grading on a curve somehow. But this really is an absolute test. If, if you don't believe and your sin, hasn't been uh, not, not held against you. Then you're a sinner and you are not by definition in this particular strict
2: sense. I know you don't like the word, but you're not good. You're bad. And I think one of the things the law came to do is that sin is not, um, contrary to what you might have heard your entire life on TV, in person, in books, sin is not a focus of the Christian life. It's the context that the gospel is poured into. That's why it's important that the law came to show us our need for a Savior. If I'm good, if I never sin, I don't need someone to die for me, because I'm doing just fine, right? Right. So right there just shows another need for the law, that we need that.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. You know, it's the purpose of the law is not to say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you can't do anything, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is to show them the need for Christ. No matter what you do, you know, you cannot be what God made you to be. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God created us for his glory. So no matter how much you try, you cannot reach the glory that God created us for. And the only way is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came... The gospel is about, you know, uh, there's a beautiful scripture in Titus. You know, Jesus came to us, the gospel is preached to us so that we can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even in um, uh, John chapter 17, Lord Jesus Christ prays that, you know, that they may have the same glory that I had with you when I was with you. So the gospel is all about, you know, having this glory, sharing, partaking of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can never attain to that glory by our works. So the sooner we realize, the better for
2: us. Sure. And and the key to remember with the gospel and what churches should be preaching is, we don't bring up sin so that you'll sin less. We bring up sin so that you'll see your need for a Savior. That's what the purpose of the law is. And if the church is going to talk about sin, that should be the purpose. not Not to try to help you stop sinning, which seems... A lot of pastors nowadays have become motivational speakers to teach you, to encourage you, to cheerlead you, to guilt you into stopping your sin. Now, the only reason sin is there is to bring you to Christ. It's why the law came, to show you your need. And that's what the gospel should be, that someone loves you so much they died for you to take care of the same problem that has been a fatal problem in mankind from the beginning. A necessary problem, but it's still a fatal one. And I know I've I've shared this quote before, but it's one of my favorite, and it's Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentarian from the early 1700s. He said that the old covenant prophet cries out to show people their sin. The new covenant prophet cries out to show people their Savior. And that's a world of dis- difference right there. And the latter was the plan from the beginning, well, from before the beginning of time, but he announced to Abraham, and then the law meant to bring people to that knowledge that they needed a Savior, and then Christ came to die and fulfill it.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point, uh, Mark. You know, sometimes in our gospel preaching is like as if we're trying to get people to stop sinning for example you know if someone is drinking or whatever right or taking drugs you go after them to sh- go after them as if the goal is to sh- get them to stop uh, that uh, sin whatever they are doing stop taking drugs that's the end goal you know whether they have christ or not as if it doesn't matter but that's an excellent point you know the point is not stopping sinning but to bringing people to christ
0: amen So why don't we see if we can move forward a little bit and finish off at least this chapter, Mark. Like you said, we don't want our children finishing this
1: series.
0: (laughs) So picking back up at uh, verse 23, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you're if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, it doesn't matter who who we are outside of that. We are all part of the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ and God is our Father.
2: It's really to me the only answer to racism. We can't, we're never gonna erase racism by more programs and further education and Christ is the one that puts us even at the cross, makes us all brothers and sisters, no matter what our station in life. One of the one of the things I love about that you just read Tim uh, from Galatians 3:23 it says that we were held in custody custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian, until Christ came. So those of you that are listening that perhaps may be still trying to add things to the gospel, until, the until has come now. The faith that was to come has been revealed. Christ has come. So now the purpose of the law has been fulfilled in all who believe. It still exists for those that are unbelievers to draw them to Christ as well, just like it did us But that word until is really big. The law was for us until we came to Christ. And then Paul even says it even clearer. We are no longer under a guardian.
1: That's awesome, uh, Mark. You know, here again, we talked about the purpose of the law many times, right? It is so clear here. If a way to say it in a single sentence or half a sentence, it says, the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. See, we are not, that's so clear here, the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. And again, we are not justified by the law so that, you know, we can have Christ so that we might be justified by faith. So the moment we come to Jesus, the moment we see the need for the Savior, the law has done its part. It has no part beyond that. So that we can be justified by faith. We realize that I cannot be justified by the works of the law But thank God, because of Lord Jesus Christ, I can be justified by faith. And after that, I'm no longer under the tutor. That's it. The law's purpose is done. You don't take the law beyond that point in a Christian life. But unfortunately, you know, we have brought law along with us through our Christian life. And not only that, right? Every day we ignore Christ and we go back to the law as if the law is the thing. No, law is done. Law's purpose is done. You know, we are in Christ. And Christ is enough. We don't need the law.
2: Just a footnote on uh, the word guardian in Galatians 23, where it says the law was our guardian. In the KJV, it says the law was our schoolmaster. But famed theologian R.C. Sproul, I heard him teach that the original Greek word for schoolmaster is better translated cruel taskmaster. So when we include the law, with our faith in Christ, we're keeping ourselves under a cruel taskmaster. Which would you rather have, a cruel taskmaster or the one who said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest.
1: Awesome point, Mark. Yeah, I have one uh, observation, kind of a bigger observation, Tim. Is there, uh, here it says, uh, uh, in verse 29, it says, you know, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and it's according to promise. In fact, I think 26 through 29, if you don't mind, uh, there is, again, there is so much of truth here, right? It takes a lot of time to grasp all this, but it says in verse 26, we are all children of God or sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as many as of you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's no difference, you are Greek. There's no slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And then it says, if you are Christ, then your Abraham's seed ails according to promise. So if you go back up, right, you know, when we read, mm-hmm. uh, we started in verse 15 and in verse 16 says the promise was made not to us, not to the seeds, not to human beings, but the promise was made to Jesus Christ. That's what it says. The promise was made to seed and not the seeds. So it was made to Jesus Christ and not to us then how do we partake of the promise? The only way we can be partakers of the promise is if we are in Christ. That's what he is saying exactly, right? If you are Christ, only then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. In other words, without being in Christ, we cannot individually claim the promise of God because to begin with, it was not made to us. It was made to Lord Jesus Christ and He fulfilled the law and He removed our sins and He received the promise. And the only way for us to have this promise, or to have the inheritance of God, is to be in Christ. And how are we in Christ? Through faith only. You know? When we are justified by faith, Holy Spirit comes and takes us and puts us in Christ, and Christ himself comes in us. And now we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to us. So here the picture again is a picture of uh, the marriage. That's why, you know, it's so important, right, you know, from God's perspective, once you marry, right, you know, whatever belongs to husband belongs to wife. Similarly, you know, when we are married to Lord Jesus Christ, when we are placed in Him, whatever belongs to Him belongs to us. That's how we receive the promise, you know, not by keeping the law, not by individually claiming God's promises apart from Christ.
2: I'd like to add one comment to that last little paragraph there, uh, Ajay and Tim, and that is, In Christ, we are all children of God through faith. We all receive the same inheritance. Um, Now, I think what Paul's trying to contrast is before Christ, people under the law, they were not all the same. There was a—where Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile under Christ— under the law, there was Jew and Gentile. The Jews hated the Gentiles; weren't allowed to touch them, eat with them, talk to them. Uh, there, there was a difference between slave and free under the law. Slaves hated the master because they're working for free and being beaten, whatever else. Same thing with male and female. Under the gospel, there's no hierarchy. Both have received and are heirs of all that Christ has accomplished. Under the law, males were considered superior to females. So he's making a point here that a massive difference has been accomplished here in Christ. That system that was meant to bring people to Christ divided people and made others feel better than other people. And when Christ came, we all are heirs and children of God. And I, I love that point he finishes up with there.
0: Yeah, it very much. This is this is the one of the quintessential references to unity amongst the body, and that is we are all literally equal. Period. Doesn't matter our background, our skin color, our anything. Well, guys, it's uh, good to have Ajay back, Uh, but we do have to come to an end eventually tonight. It is heartening to see that we actually made it to the end of the third chapter, but uh, having said that, I want to give you guys an opportunity to do any summaries you might want to before we sign off. So, Ajay, as our returning guest, would you like to start?
1: Yeah, so... uh... Tim, for me, I think the key phrase here and throughout the Romans is, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You know, that's how we are saved. We simply believe the gospel, then we become righteous. And because of our righteousness, right, we receive our inheritance, which includes the Holy Spirit and Christ himself and everything we have in Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the point he's making, like, you know, you are justified by faith. And you continue in faith. You don't add the law again. You don't go back to works. You don't do anything, you know, based on the law once you come to Christ. Everything, you know, everything is by faith from beginning to end. We come to our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And we live this Christian life by faith. And we end this Christian life by faith. Paul says, you know, I fought a good fight of faith. He doesn't say towards the end of his life, he doesn't say, I did this, I did that. I fought a good fight of works of the law. He says, I fought the good fight of faith. You know, it's all by faith without the works of the law.
0: Thank you very much, Ajay. Mark, have you got uh, something to add?
2: Yes, I believe I do. Surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) What I would like to add is this, and just has occurred to me the other day that, and we just briefly touched upon it earlier tonight, but... People under the law, whether it's a church or a pastor or a congregant, whoever, the focus is sin. The focus is overcoming sin, not sinning, um, where when you're under Christ, he's the focus. And when it comes down to this, that I would say this to those out there now who may still be adamant that we've got to follow the rules and regulations, that we have to be religious and do this, do that, don't this, don't do that. Here's the simple fact. We all sin. All people sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. And we all sin and fall short of the glory of God that's a given. We're all desperately in need of a Savior. That's a given. So when they criticize people that have put their faith alone in Christ and all he did and say, that's a license to sin, all I would say to them is, well, what's your, what's your excuse then? <laughs> you sin. So so how is it any different? Or are you saying that you're not a sinner? Or are you saying that people under grace sin more? And, I, and, and Scripture tells us, very clearly, that being under the law causes us to sin. It makes us a slave to sin, it says in Romans 6.14. It arouses the sinful passions in us, Romans seven five. So the question is not whether we all sin or who sins more or less. It's what we're going to do with that sin. Are we going to put it under the law that condemns, guilts, curses, shames, makes you a slave and actually arouses your sinful passions? Or are we going to take our sin, put it under the grace of God and have it removed as far as the east is from the west? God will remember it no more. He releases us from its control and dominion. He declares us his righteousness makes us a child and heir of Christ in freedom that's That's our choice that we all have to make.
0: Thank you very much, Mark. I will say just this: this is fourteen verses, and in it is so much. Paul talks about the relationship between. Law and grace. He talks about the Abrahamic covenant. He talks about the role of faith in salvation and, and at the end brings up the unity of the believers in Christ. That's so much there. It's so rich in such a short bit. And I would encourage anyone who's interested in this to dig deeper, go, you know, the whole book of Galatians is full of this sort of thing, but this is really distilled into a very small section. Well, we want to thank you for joining us again for this episode. We hope that you've been uplifted and blessed. For the three of us today, we wish you a great week, and we'll talk to you again the next time. Tim again. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. Our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.theunveiledgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always,
2: God bless, and we will talk to you the next time.